that's Boris and Matt Weekly, the show where we chat about sports, the show where we chat about entertainment, and then we put it all together to chat some sports entertainment, better known as wrestling. We're your hosts. I'm Boris. And as always, I am joined by Matt. Bonjour. How's everybody doing out there? We hope you're doing well. Boris, we have a good Super Bowl to talk about. The rare, excellent Super Bowl. Although I guess some of the more recent Super Bowls have been pretty good. But this was a good one for 95% of the game anyway. Pretty solid Super Bowl. Pretty solid halftime show. Uh, we also have a special guest this week. Lots to get to. Too much to get to. But Boris, how you doing, big homie? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Just uh, It's been one of those weekends, man. Just so tired. I've slept so weird hours, but I've actually slept, which is, like, just amazing. But, yeah, man, things are just so busy in every aspect of my life, whether it be work, whether it be SNME, whether it be my personal life. And, and, and you know, that thing that happens, right? Like, it's just been so crazy. But overall, trying to keep positive, uh, trying to do my thing, trying to keep the, uh, keep the train on the tracks. But uh, apart from that, things are going really well, my friend. How are things with you? How was your weekend? Nice, dude. Uh, yeah, pretty chill. I worked on Saturday. It was actually so funny. Uh, the power was out for the first 90 minutes at work, and our, our owner, the boss, was just about to send us home. He's like, let me call the landlord one more time. Landlord tells him, yeah, it's actually going to be back on in two two to five minutes. So he's like, okay, well, I guess we're staying at work. And we, we waited another like 10 to 15. And he was thinking about like, uh, do I call again? Do I just send him home? And then the power came on and we were just completely behind all day. So that sucked. <laughs> so I got pretty slammed on Saturday. But you know, life is good. Had a good Sunday today. Just relaxed. Did a couple errands. Walked around the beautiful city of Toronto with a backpack full of beer. Just, you know, the world was my oyster, Boris. It felt good. Dude, that's awesome. I loved that's something that I miss. Like, I just don't have the time right now uh, to just wander. I used to love wandering. Go like for not, not only like not just the Boris walks, like just take like an afternoon and just like go about adventure, uh, go to like a, a part of the city that I don't get to too often and just like chill, see what's going on. I used to always have a backpack, have a beer or two, and just walk in and take the city in because like, you know, a lot of people love to talk shit about Toronto, especially the people who live in Toronto. Um, but the city is yeah. honestly awesome. Like it's a fun city. There's always something going on, um, you know, and, and, and yeah, just like I just used to love spending my time like that. But yeah, it's uh, I don't I unfortunately don't have the time for that but you just reminded me that i gotta make time for stuff like that uh because that's really the stuff that really keeps me sane buddy that's what's important you know what i mean you gotta take time for boris <laughs> my friend don't forget that so yeah we have a loaded docket today we have lots on the wrestling side of things we have a special guest like we said from the it's canon podcast and from uh the red patch boys your buddy phil uh, he's on the show. We're talking some, uh, well, you're talking some uh, Canadian women's soccer. We were going to do a very popular gimmick here on BAM, the Love Guru. I have requested, uh, and Boris has begrudgingly accepted, to uh, to postpone that one week because I think this show is too loaded and that's a main event in any in any stadium across the country, baby. So we, it's like it, it's like that Bailey versus Becky Lynch cage match from Raw not too long ago. They had to cut it from Raw 30 because it deserves a main event slot. That's coming next week. 
you smart son of a bitch. I love how you owned up to it, so I can't throw you under the bus. <laughs> exactly. She's got to be very political. My fellow Americans, I did not <laughs> bail on the Love Guru podcast. I simply postponed. I got, I got the half thumbs up going right now, like Barack Obama. Like my fellow bandits. Uh, dude, you, you, you. Oh my God. Very smart. Well played. Well played. Well played. <laughs> but it's true. Okay. Like, in all oh, seriousness, in all seriousness, I, you know, w- when you mentioned it, I'm like, oh, and then, like, you sent me the list of everything we're going to talk about. I'm like, you know what? I know us. We're going to, the Super Bowl chat's going to probably be longer than, you know, what we want. The Canadian women's national team stuff is going to obviously take longer because there's just so much to, to unravel and, you might get a Boris rant or two out of that one. Um, and then there's just so much happening. It's a, pretty, in the world it's of- a pretty spicy meatball. Oh, it is. It is. And then wrestling is wrestling. There's so much to chat about. So, yeah, we're going to let it breathe. We're going to give the love guru the respect it doesn't deserve. Uh, so we're going to be postponing that <laughs> one. <laughs> you like that one, huh? We're going to be postponing that yeah. one till next week. So people can still be sending questions. Um, again, thank you to... Greg, the Smack Daddies, to Joe, uh, for really pushing us to do that. I, you know, I don't know how, Matt. I still don't understand how, but that's still that was, to this was... day our most listened to show. Yeah, well, hey, you got to give the people what they want. I'm pointing out that it is your idea originally. I, I recognize it's kind of it's a little dumb and kind of cringe. I mean, we're both you know chubby guys. We're not exactly uh, you know uh, Don Johnson. It is uh and his brother Brad Pitt or something. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh we're we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna uh clumsily give some, you know, advice about uh, you know, love and sex and all that kind of fun stuff. It'll just basically be like the blind leading the blind. What fun it will be next week. So it's a little teaser, you know, put that under uh put that under uh this the windowsill, you know, water it for six to seven days. And let's see how she blooms next Monday on Beth. Exactly. So that's exactly what we're going to do. And did you know that next Monday is a long weekend? Oh, it's family day. Yep. By God, there's one to listen to with the wife and kids. Hey, eh? gather around, everyone. We're going to sit listen around to these, the phone. Listen to these two <laughs> idiots who are single and probably going to be single for a while. Talk about yes. love. <laughs> Yeah, talk about the differences between getting rejected on Hinge and getting rejected on Tinder. It should be fun. Can't wait. And the intricities of situationships and how they could really F with your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, All kinds of intricacies. Uh, Yeah. So do you want to to, uh, pivot to sports here and, and talk about this superior bowl that we just saw, big homie? Let us, because there's a lot to to talk about in terms of the end of this game, but I think you, you said it best that this game was a very fun game. You know, I think that we called the way that this game was going to go for the most part. Nobody could have called that dusty finish, but I think that uh, it's like really, if, if you knowing the way that both teams play, it shouldn't shock too many people how this game went. Yeah, I was a little off on the score. But other than that, we pretty much nailed it, buddy. The game went kind of exactly how we said it would. Philadelphia ran crap out of the ball, won the first half. Kansas City made a dramatic comeback, came down to the end. Kansas City won. Obviously, there was a bad penalty. And uh, I almost think we should have a debate 
about the running, uh, like going into the end zone and like sliding down at the one, I could hear an argument that should be delay of game. Kind of ruins the game. I understand it's an intelligent play, what Isaiah Pacheco did there right at the end to prolong the game, but you could talk me into that being a delay of game. It's the shift. It kind of ruins the the, uh, integrity. It is. It is exactly. It's the shift in baseball. That's exactly what it is. Right. And, and, and I think that as you see more teams doing that and ruining the end of games, I think that the NFL is going to say, hey, 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 come on. This is a sport. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, but yeah. So so final score, Matt, was what? It was 38-35 Kansas City over Philadelphia. Yep. Um, and it was a great game. It was honestly a very fun game. Uh, you know, if you're not, here's the thing though. I think that it's one of those games that if you if 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 you're watching the Super Bowl just for the halftime show, which I think probably more than half of the people who watch it are, um, it might not have been the game for you, right? It wasn't a a back and forth love like just just amazing game, but it was a well played, well coached, well called game for the most part, um, and it was fun. It was a it was a football fans football game. Yeah, I I respect that. It it didn't feel like your typical Super Bowl. It was over quickly. It had a good pace to it. Felt like a normal solid football game that you'd see on a Sunday night, you know, minus the massive Rihanna uh, concert, of course, and the awesome national anthem that started it. What was the the guy's name? Chris Stapleton, his country singer, whoever he was. He killed it. He killed it. The Eagles coach was bawling his eyes out during that. Rightfully so. That, That was one of the best national anthems I've ever seen. Yep, it was really well done. Uh, as you said, the Eagles won the first half, by, and they were up by 10 at the half. Then the third and the fourth, Kansas came. Came a, came a Kansas hitting it. Uh, they, were, they scored 21 points in the, by the middle of the fourth, and you know I thought it was going to be a blowout. I thought that we were you know running to the races. But Philadelphia did put up a hell of a fight. Um, and, and yeah, let, let's talk about the last, what, five minutes of the game. Yeah. Even the last like 30 seconds, we kind of covered it already, but there was a terrible defensive holding call. I think that was a bad referee. Obviously, obviously you can't, you can't grab the Jersey. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Here's the thing with, with that play, like it, it, because it's so subjective, right? If you're going to call a game by the book by the book that is a penalty having said that having said that this is the super bowl this is the biggest game in 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 the season a lot of eyes are on it do you call that penalty at that point you can't you can't call that penalty at that point it's such a rinky dink ticky tack call that ultimately I feel like decided the Super Bowl. It allowed Kansas City to kind of get a fresh set of downs, kneel out the clock basically, and kick a very close field goal to win this thing 38-35. It effectively eliminated the drama from the rest of the game. I get that by the letter of the law. It was a it was a crime, but it was jaywalking. You know what I mean? He just ended the Super Bowl on jaywalking. That was the rankiest ticky-tack penalty. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? Like it's and that's a debate that we should have. I don't know 
who we should have it with, uh, because I think you and I are on the same side of this, right? But, like, you know, if you're calling us any sport by the book, yeah, that's a penalty. But you have to think of the bigger picture sometimes, right? Um, but then on the flip side, if that call would have not been done, can you imagine the reaction on the other side? That's the thing. I think that I, that's probably a good barometer for it, too. It was so chintzy that I don't think there would have been a big reaction. I don't think there would have been a fan outcry. I don't think it was obvious enough to spot even, you know? Yeah. And you know what the crazy part is that this is what the second Super Bowl. Um, no, that wasn't the Super. Was the Super? Was it the Super Bowl or the um, the NFC? championship game that was decided kind of rinky dink like this i know that we've been seeing a lot of major games being decided yeah. like this over the past two three years there was a really bad uh penalty uh, and i i think that one was the fault of the player in just the afc title game this year the Bengals chiefs ended on a really questionable call although ultimately i would have called that one before i called this one but it's happening more and more man it absolutely is yep Exactly. So, you know, that's the unfortunate part. We got the good old dusty finish. It, it just really deflated the balloon. I think a lot of people were were, were were off put, were put off by the way that this game ended. And if, you know, here's the thing, if I'm the casual viewer, because I love talking about the casual viewers, right? Like when it comes to wrestling, I always think of the casual viewer. When it comes to any sport, I think of the casual viewer. Think of the casual viewer. And let's assume you get past the fact that this was, you know, very a very technical football game and you're having fun and that's the way that the game ends. Are you going to tune in ever again? Are you going to tune in in September to watch the another game? No, absolutely not. Probably not. It leaves the bad taste in your mouth, although it was a good game up to that point. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to turn anyone off of watching next year's Super Bowl, you know. I think though this yeah, it is what it is. It's just a bad ending to a good game. It's not ideal. It's not what you want. And it may turn away a casual fan who was really like, man, I might I might get into football. Be like, oh no, actually this game sucks and is stupid. Here's Even a thing, good though. game is stupid. I'm not On watching a, football. Exactly. On a scale of, you know, rock turning heel at Deadly Games Survivor Series ninety eight to Austin turning and siding with Vince WrestleMania seventeen. <laughs> being, you know, the worst possible ending to a show. Uh, this is kind of like a little lower on that scale. This isn't Austin and Rock and Vince ending the Attitude Era, essentially, with one swing of a chair. Exactly. Well, numerous swings of a chair, but yes, exactly right, buddy. It's far from that disastrous. Yeah, it's, 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 it didn't ruin football. It was just a lame ending to what was a pretty good game, and I will remember it as such. I'll remember the good game, and I will remember the lame ending. I'll also remember Jalen Hurts having an awesome Super Bowl, three rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown. You could have argued he could have been the rare losing MVP. That doesn't happen too much in finals, but... There's a case. There's a case Dude, to be made. I'm sorry. The MVP needs to go to the best player on that field, and I do believe that Jalen Hurts was the best player on the field. Patrick Mahomes ended up winning that. I called that one. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you that I I would have I I don't know if you said this, but I would have given the MVP to Jalen Hurts. Have that rare occasion. Um, I think that the MVP should go to the best player, regardless of whether they won the game or not. Right? Like it's ah, technicalities. Yeah. 
The only thing is it's tough to give him the MVP with that absolutely horrendous Hail Mary attempt at the end of the game. You don't want to hang your MVP on that. That that might have disqualified him from MVP status alone, yes. that one pass. But I, I don't know. I, I, I think I'll remember his performance the most individually in this game. So from that uh, aspect alone, he is he's the most memorable player, if not the most valuable. Oh, I agree. I agree 100%. All right. Let's talk about something. That is the grass, the grass that was on the field. Um, Kansas City had experienced the grass at Arizona earlier this year, week one to be exact, and it left a bad taste in their mouth. They said, this is shit. They said the grass was horrible. The playing surface was horrible. I think there was even a major injury to uh, to to Arizona, the Cardinals, at the time, week one, and I think the guy never came back. So the grass has always been an issue in Arizona, and that played, I don't know if, I, if I'm going to say played a huge uh, role in the deciding factor of this game, but the Eagles were slipping and sliding after the first half, a bunch of them changed their shoes. Uh, what do you, what do you take? What's your takeaway on that? Well, uh, I'm of two minds of it. Obviously it was a factor. You can't deny that. Right. Like yes, yeah. the field conditions are a huge factor in the game, obviously, but at the same time, it's football, man. Like a lot of Super Bowls have been played on worse fields. I'm sure. I think, players are a little spoiled in that regard because conditions are so much better around the league than they've been in the sixties and seventies and eighties and whatever. Right. So like, yeah, I, I don't have any particular problem with it. Both teams are playing on that field. Both teams are dealing with it. And if Kansas city had experienced it before and was more prepared, Hey, that's just another advantage for Kansas city. You know, like that's a strategical element that their opponents should have considered and countered, right? So I have zero problem with it, although it did make for a slightly worse game, you know, because people were slipping and sliding. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like you can't change your shoes in the middle of the half. You didn't have to technically wait for the half, right? As soon as, as sorry, as soon as I slip once or twice, I'm changing my shoes, right? Like I've been in that situation as a catcher. Uh, as a catcher, I used to have three different types of shoes, right? Um, I had one spike cleats and then I had regular cleats. But you know what I actually played with as a catcher the most? Uh, the spikes so you can run to second base and just absolutely hammer pe people in the shins. Well, yeah, I, I should have. Uh, I, <laughs> soccer cleats. I actually wore soccer cleats as uh, in baseball a lot. Oh. Because the soccer cleats have thicker no have way. The thicker bottoms. So I felt that, especially as a catcher, you can grip whatever surface uh, the backstop is on a little better. Makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. It's good, good tip for young catchers out there. There you go, yep. Morris. Exactly. There you go. You know, I'm, I'm a wealth of knowledge. Whether people listen or not, that's <laughs> on you. But yeah, so the grass did play a role. And just so that people know, the grass was a mixture of two types of Bermuda and a rye strand of grass. When it comes to grass, talk to a soccer supporter. They though those people know grass like there's no tomorrow. It always comes up, pitch and pitches and this and that. And oh, God bless soccer supporters. Nice. Yes. Speaking of soccer supporters, well, are we done with the with the Super Bowl here? Have we? I think we've wrapped it up pretty well. We got some. We got some prop bets that we shouted out that actually hit. The Philadelphia Eagles winning the first half was a hit. The Philadelphia Eagles 
uh, rush attempts as a team over. I saw it at 29 and at 30 and a half in some places. It went over both those numbers. So we we made you some money. Hope you didn't bet on Travis Kelsey for MVP. I threw I threw eight bucks on it to win a hundred. I'm okay with that. Eight bucks, well spent, I'll say. And it was a good Super Bowl, you know. Uh, chilled out with uh, chilled out with the roommates. Had some food, had some beers, had a good time. Life is good, man. It was a good football game, and uh, the Miami Dolphins are on the up and up. So you know, let's bring on the next season. I'm already ready. And that is a wrap to the 2022-2023 NFL season until September, my friend. <laughs> yes. Can't wait. Bam, fantasy football, SNME fantasy football season two. <laughs> Check out uh, Cake. Will you be the one to dethrone Greg, Father Feltham? All right. That's enough chatter about one particular type of football. So we're going to jump to the other type of football because... Man, oh man, Matt, things have really gotten interesting over this past weekend. And I know that you're not the biggest soccer footy fan, so I'm bringing someone along for the ride. That is my good friend, my co-host of the It's Cannon podcast, my co-host of the uh, to-be-named soccer podcasts, the newest member, or one of the newest members of the SNME family, none other than Phil. Phil, how's it going? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. To say that this weekend was a roller coaster ride <laughs> for the women's national program here in Canada is an understatement. Yeah, it uh, it got a wee bit spicy, didn't it? It, it um, kicked off at, on Friday. It really it did. It really <laughs> did. All right. So if you haven't heard, this past weekend was crazy as it pertains to the women's soccer program. And you know what's sad, Phil? The fact that this is literally, literally what we called shouldn't be happening, but we knew in the back of our heads that this is exactly what was going to happen. Uh, so on Friday, in the middle of the day, quiet Friday, Friday, the last day that you want to be sending out major announcements and media things because people are getting going away for the week and just a week, less than a week before the She Believes Cup is set to kick off on Thursday against the USA, the Canadian women's national team essentially declared themselves in strike position. The ongoing labor dispute between Canada soccer and both programs really boiled over Friday because of the threats of job action with the women's calling uh, for Sports Minister Pascal Saint-Ong to step in from the men. Uh, Christine Sinclair <laughs> summed it up best when she said this in a social media post on Twitter. Enough is enough. All the women right now in Orlando... And uh, she, Christine St. Clair was part of a TSN interview, and here's a quote from that. As a team, we've decided to take job action, and from this moment on, we'll not be participating in any Canadian Soccer Association activities until this is resolved, whether that's training, whether that's games. Shots were fired right away. Now, the obvious question is why? What is going on? Well, Essentially, this is what's going on. The women feel that there is a huge gap, not only in pay between the men and the women's programs, but 
we are five months away from the Women's World Cup. The sixth ranked team in the world, Canada. The current reigning, defending gold medalists, Canadian women's national team, <laughs> are getting their budget axed left, right, and center. Not only have they not been paid for their Canadian national duties in over a year, not only are they already already suffering as a terms uh, in regards to training and conditioning and preparation for major tournaments, but we are five months away from showcasing the women, the sixth-ranked women in the world, and, well, you know, they're essentially being cut out of the equation when it comes to money. There seems to be a huge uh, disparity between the men's and the women's program, and on top of everything, you know, they have less people being invited to camp they have less workers they have less medical staff less staff in general they're not being paid um dude it is absolutely crazy when you see what is going on right now um i think they said it best the sixth ranked women say they are being told to perform at a world-class level without the same level of support that was received by the men's national team in 2022 and with significant cuts to our program uh, we are tired Tired of constantly having to fight for fair and equal treatment and for a program that will give us a chance to achieve what we know this team is capable of achieving for Canada, the women's statement said. Um, that was the women's statement. That's what they released on Friday as a team, quickly supported by most of the men. Most of the men quickly supported this statement and job action, um, and the CSA were left with uh, a pie on their face, to say the least. So, Phil, quickly, let's talk about this. Initial thoughts, initial reaction. Hey, well, part of it that you actually just missed out on in your summary was the fact that Friday the financials got disclosed. And I believe this goes to your exact point of let's try and slip it through on a Friday afternoon before a tournament. And we're going to release the 2021 financials. And the discrepancy there was, this isn't even the year that the men's team went to the World Cup. This was qualifying still. And over double the amount of money was spent on the men's team compared to the women's team. And then we go right into what you're talking about. The fact that we're getting further cuts to the program. Not improvements, even though money has been made. Right? Here's it's not going into the women's. The and number that's, one. That's what Christine Sinclair had tweeted out that got my attention first. The number was one. It's just like, um. <laughs> yeah, the number one argument that any Joe Blow is going to give is let them sell tickets. The women's game doesn't yeah. sell. Let me tell you something about here, something here in Canada, my friend. Not only is the women's program for the longest time proven winners. But they outdrew the men for a very long time here in Canada as a whole because of their performance starting back way in 2012 in London Olympics, moving on to hosting the Women's World Cup in 2015 and then becoming uh, the Tokyo 2020 uh gold medalist like it's crazy like i have the numbers right here and that was going to be my next point is exactly what you said was how the csa kind of slips things through on a friday if you yeah. look at the expenses the men's national team in 2021 was given 11 million dollars 29 11 million dollars compared to the women's five million dollars yep 
And here's the thing, and exactly to your point, women's soccer carried this entire program for a long time now. The men weren't doing anything. The men were in a dismal tailspin. It wasn't until John Herdeman took over the men's team from the women's team. People, do you see where this, this whole system is predicated upon? At this point, it's arguable that our whole talent draw and our whole path to success is based out of the women's program. We are drafting our coaches out of it. We are drafting our attitude for success out of it. We are pinning a lot onto it. I don't know how many games you and I attended down at BMO Field, honoring the women on the field and how that translated into sold-out stadiums of support for women's games. Yep. And I know it's a little bit different of a flavor. It's not maybe not as fast or physical as the men's. But this is the thing. The women's team has done more than its fair share of holding its end of the bargain and still being a draw in Canada and being the one thing that was there for all of us downtrodden supporters of this battered national team to go, yeah, but the women are winning. And my God, I'm proud of them. Not only are they winning, but they're drawing. They're putting asses in seats, if we want to put it in wrestling terms, right? They are getting people into the stadiums. People are turning around watching these games. And, uh, you know, it's just, to me, it's just absolutely crazy. So, Phil, let's take one second. Because part of this entire fight, and this is what the men were also fighting about, was just, and this is how shady the Canadian Soccer Association is, the CSA. The major, one of the major issues that is stemming from both sides, the men and the women. And the women are feeling this a lot more than the men based on the budget numbers that I just gave from 2021. And that's the Canadian Soccer Association's deal with Canada's soccer business. This is, like, we can dedicate a whole podcast on Canada's soccer business. (laughs) But essentially, they represent all corporate partnerships and broadcast rights related to soccer uh, Canada's core assets, including its national team. So this includes the Canadian Premier League. This includes anything under the CSA banner. That includes the Voyagers Cup. That includes the men's and the women's programs at every level, the national team, the under-20s, the under-17s, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they can do whatever deals they want. They can rake in millions and millions and millions. And you know what they give back to the CSA, Phil? (laughs) Probably bupkis. A predetermined amount. A predetermined <laughs> amount, regardless of how much Canada soccer business does. Now, this deal was made back in 2018, and the CSA even knew it was a short-term pain for long-term gain. Here's the thing, and this again goes to show you the how the men's national team is seen. This was, this deal was made in 2018. This did not include the possibility that Canada would actually get good and actually qualify to Qatar. Yeah. That, well, we know as a matter of fact that there has been zero planning around success in this program. And right now they're scrambling and they have egg on their face because this is exactly what you do, right? Is you're not paying players. You've got an influx of cash. You've got a whole bunch of executives trying to figure out who gets that cash. 
And that indecision is paralyzing the organization. And you're making and then, side deals with they're, then they're making side players deals. to and, ensure and how about the fact that labor that they, doesn't go unrest. And then how about the fact that they've now invented this whole ticketing system that requires buy-in from fans? Yeah, exactly. Right, a subscription service to buy tickets. We've gone from absolutely selling out stadiums to the opposition, right? And and barely even allotting tickets to home fans, to charging home fans a subscription to get access to tickets. Yep, like, it's crazy. And here's the thing: oh, the, the CSA blames their business off. partners. The business partners are very quiet, but the CSA isn't all clear about this because the CSA was awarded prize money for the Men's World Cup. Canada earned about nine million U.S. dollars from the tournament purse plus 1.5 million dollars to pair for soccer and it's not part of the canada soccer business deal how the csa is allocating these funds is known to no one well Dwayne rollins i did read has claimed and he is a guy that might know um he has claimed that that money got divvied up equally amongst the players and distributed that way after the fact but after, after they started the fighting. This is after the yes, Canadian men's national after job team action had to stopped take place. playing friendlies. Yeah, this is after job action, which now, as we're going to go on to find out, basically the CSA shut down this job action declared by the women's national team to basically come out with a statement today that said, yada, yada, Charlie Brown voice here, right? Like Charlie Brown's teacher voice. But essentially it said, well, we really feel like this is going to disturb the fan experience. So they threw the fans under the bus as a reason to bring about lawsuits individually on players that they haven't paid yet in order to stop job action. Now, they might be right in the fact that this is an illegal job action because we do know that unions and player, like player worker, whatever, do have to have certain declarations and certain things met before they can bring about a job action. But you didn't hear any of this with the men's national team when they took job action. They were just like, oh, let us go back to the table and Earl and everybody else are going to sit and dig deep into their pockets and, and Rolodexes and make this right. Yep. Instead, with the women, they threaten a lawsuit. Not on only did they threaten legal actions to the women's team in general, but they threatened legal action to individual players and these are people yeah. who have not been paid properly and how and like this is the ultimate union busting approach that i've ever seen yep it was absolutely sickening to read and to have to read the players capitulate to it because they didn't want to and i can imagine what that call was like with the players coming into a room and saying well this is our risk and this is you know we could just play the tournament or we could risk it all. Is it worth the risk? Yep. And then they all just kind of went, let's just play. Like, and, and kudos to them because that's the toughest decision to make. But it's also, I don't know, it makes, in a way, I feel like it makes the CSA look like the monsters that they are in this whole thing. So now, from my perspective as a fan, I want them to get better at this stuff. Like, I don't want this dragging out as a huge public battle 
between the players, either the men or the women. They need to make this right. And they, if they need to go do that in a closed room, then that's what they need to do. And everybody needs to stop fighting in the media. But there needs to be an earnest outreach by the CSA to go, okay, look, we screwed up. We understand you're frustrated. But man, oh man, they uh, we've called it for a while now. Yep. They need to make a lot more space. They need to make a lot more advancement in the realm of transparency and, to the and, players and to the fans. And not to get in the middle of this fight, right? But the Voyagers have been suspiciously quiet. And I'm not calling anyone out. It is the weekend. It blah, 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 blah. But as soon as the CSA threw the fans under the bus, the Voyagers really should have released a statement saying, you know, where where they put their support, what they think get themselves out of being thrown under the bus in this labor thing by putting out a statement. But we haven't heard anything from the Voyagers just, sure just yet now. But that's hey, But hey, Phil, what do we what do you and I know about uh, supporter relations? Right. <laughs> exactly. All right. So the Canadian Women's uh, Players Association, they sent out a statement. We continue to believe that Canada soccer's cuts to the national team programs, especially right before our World Cup, are unacceptable. The players added in their statement, we continue to believe that Canada soccer needs to do more to support our programs and our players. And we continue to believe that unless we stand up together and demand more, nothing will ever change. Captain and superhero Christine St. Clair said on Twitter, we are being forced back to work for the short term. This is not over. We will continue to fight for everything we deserve and we will win. The She Believes is being played in protest. So there you go. They are going to go through the tournament, but it is going to be in protest. So I'm very curious to see what the women are going to be doing on the field on Thursday because nowhere does it say they have to actually play the games per se. Yeah. Well, okay. Go oh, one last thing, Phil. It's true. You know, th this there's been a lot of hoopla about the women's program and 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 you know the Canadian uh Premier League and the possibility of there being a women's Premier League. Does this labor action, does this unrest, does this fight between the, the, the two sides hinder the plans for women's league? I think it hinders it f the plans for it from the CSA's perspective or involvement. I think that if anything, it further will be used as a step tool for Diana Matheson and Christine Sinclair to set up their new league coming up. Here's the I thing. think that they're going to be fighting for better wages, better transparency, and if anything, they're getting more buy-in from the players now versus if there's a competitive league set up by the CSA women's team, women's uh, program. Yeah. Or, question or involving the csa is it possible to get in I don't, like again we got to do a little more research but this is just like you know us shooting the shit is it possible for a women's program a women's league to start without the backing of the csa which means that it won't be an official an official fifa league but they get playing time they get money they do whatever because i'm sure at this point there would be enough corporate sponsors that would help them, but then you get into the politics of being blackballed, blacklisted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think it's possible to start a league without the backing of the CSA? I think it is, but I think at some point the CSA is going to have to acknowledge if they're not able to get a competitive product up and going in time that they might have to get better involved and start endorsing it. Yep. So it just means that more parties meet, like go to the table and try to hash it out. 
but I think the women need to stand by their stance of their pay and their efforts are, you know, rewarded and compensated properly. It's that, that simple. Like maybe it's not as much as the men's just because of the draw and everything like that. But I think it's definitely more than what they're getting. It, it deserves equal footing uh, as far as, you know, if there's equal economies of scale on the leagues. If it's going to compete with the CPL, then it needs to be funded and, and, and supported like the CPL is. Here's the thing, Phil. I don't have a skin in the game anymore. It doesn't really, like, it matters to me a lot, but I don't need to play the politics game. I don't know about you, but I throw my 100% support with the women on this. I think yep. that the both the men's and the women's program are deeply, deeply being screwed out of great money that can help them as we build towards 2026. I think that the CSA is a joke of an association. I think certain people that I know personally in the CSA are jokes of executives and the CSA needs to be absolutely torn to bits from this. Yeah. I think the big distractor, like we remarked upon earlier in our, in our other podcasts about the world cup and the state of the CSA, I think the bigger distractor is that the, the Canadian hockey association, like the, 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 the Canadian hockey stuff with all the controversy and all the, the money issues and whatnot is distracting most of the Canadian attention. Yep. And the CSA is like making off like bandits yep. by the shade of that. I think that they are a mismanaged organization that the government should be looking into on an equal scale. I know that they don't have, you know, at this point that we're aware of the sex scandal stuff that hockey does, but man, oh man, like this is not good when you're screwing around players like this. You're screwing around with fan bases and you're screwing around with World Cups. Like you look at the amount of money that's going into it and goodness knows, look at the political strife that's hit the city of Toronto this weekend Yeah, with their mayor stepping down and how much an investment has been committed by John Tory into that World Cup and how much of that might be under threat now with the mayor mayoral change. Yep. There's so much. I never even on. thought of that, but oh. there's a lot of balls in the air, man. <laughs> And you can catch discussions like this and then some when Phil and I launch our soccer podcast later this month. Phil, thank you so much for joining us and trying to break down the news that was uh, Canadian soccer here on this crazy, crazy weekend. Thanks so much, Phil. Stay tuned, everybody. We got more coming at you. Thank you. So that's the craziness that ha that's happening right now here in Canadian soccer. Matt, it's just crazy. Like, I, I, I just don't understand the CSA and whatnot, but like I said, we'll, we'll we'll be following that one. We'll be and talking to everybody about that one. All right, Matt, I think we should talk some NBA and the NBA trade deadline because I think this trade deadline was insane. It was insanity, and there's a lot to to unpack. The West, oh my. God, that West is competitive right now. Uh, but let's talk some NBA and NBA tra trade deadline. I feel like you, you read my mind and you have things in front of you, so I'll let you take it away. Yeah, uh, some huge deals in the uh, National Basketball Association here over the past few days. Like you said, the Western Conference has gotten very exciting. The Phoenix Suns added 
Kevin Durant and TJ Warren in a trade. The two incredible NBA players, nominally Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, who's one of the 10, 15, 20 best basketball players ever born on this earth. Like he's incredible. So he still got it. He was an early MVP favorite before he was injured this season. So yeah, Phoenix adding Kevin Durant is crazy. Brooklyn also traded Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks. So Brooklyn has broken up their squad, but they've made two contenders in the West even stronger than they were previously. Say what you will about Kyrie Irving, but if he can figure out how to play with Luka Doncic and kind of defer to him, but also take some of the load off when needed, that could be awesome. Like, who knows what you're going to get from Kyrie mentally, but on paper, on a video game, Dallas is talent-wise terrifying, terrifying. They have two players who can beat you single-handedly at any given night. Yep. And let's talk about the Toronto Raptors. I know we're from Toronto, but I feel like they played a huge part in this trade deadline. I feel that they had everything to gain and nothing to lose in this trade deadline. And I know people are giving Messiah kind of a little bit of a heck for him not making the moves because it was reported that OG and Anobi was on the uh, he was there were a lot of calls coming his way and teams were willing to give up draft picks. Here's the thing, though. I don't feel that the draft picks were protected enough for us to 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 pull the trigger. That might be it. Um, also, if they're getting draft picks from Memphis, who's been good for a long time and stands to be good for the next decade, what are you really getting? You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, but, but I did not expect Toronto to be buyers. I expected them to be sellers. So it is quite shocking for the fan base we were all expecting fred to get traded maybe og perhaps even scotty barnes or pascal siakam two of the cornerstones but instead we add a player who we traded away for Kawhi leonard jacob purtle who is very good but boy he uh he was an expensive ad so clearly the raptors want to make the playoffs they want to be in that play-in tournament buddy do you feel that the raptors and this is the thing right the raptors are a team they're very much a team. I feel like they have such great chemistry together, and I feel that that team plays as a team, acts like a team. So do you think, and this is just us you know, shooting the shit, do you think that the Raptors had a meeting with management saying, we feel we can do this as this core group? That definitely wouldn't surprise me. I feel like part of it is just like they're tuning Nick Nurse out after a while, like the same coach. You know what I mean? Like... Eventually, you might need to shake it up with coaches in the NBA, but Nick Nurse is such a good coach. He's such an asset. You don't want to just fire him. I wonder if they can do like a Brad Stevens thing where they like fire him upwards, you know, <laughs> and uh, he moves he moves up the organization and they find a different voice for the locker room. I don't quite know what the problem is, but what you what you've just said would not surprise me at all. That would make a lot of sense. Again, I don't. I know nothing. It's just the way that everything played out, right? The way the attitude of the players too, where they were like, "I don't want to talk about the trade." Every year, you guys talk to us, blah 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 blah. I just felt like everyone had the same message when talking to the media about the trade deadline. Plus the fact that they became somewhat buyers. Plus the fact that we didn't really move the suspected people we thought they were going to move the OGs, the Pascals, the Van Vliet's, right? Like to me, that just signifies that something had happened organization that stopped them from becoming sellers and we keep this core group together intact in fact we added people and here we go right 
Yeah, I, that's that's a plausible explanation. I'm not sure it's the only explanation. No. It could be that the price that Masai wanted was even more than what we've heard uh, the Grizzlies were willing to pay, right? And it, it could be a lot of things. Who knows? Maybe he just loves OG. Maybe they have a deal on the table for something even better in the summer. I'm not quite sure what it is. But yeah, the Raptors did get better. So that is cool if you're a Raptors fan. But ultimately, what are we playing for here? You know who else got better is your boys, the Lakers. Buddy. Yes, they did. The Lakers got better. I don't know about the Lakers. Honestly, I'm at the point where they just need to completely blow it up. Start from scratch. But what is scratch when you're the Lakers, right? Exactly. As long as LeBron there, there LeBron is there, there is no blowing it up. There is no scratch. They're going to try to build around LeBron. And, and they've done a good job of the, the Cavaliers 2008 to 2010 yeah, build on the fly thing. You know that I'm expecting to see Anderson Varejao show up in a couple minutes. But yeah, Lakers got better. Golden State got better slightly. I think Gary Payton the second, the mitten, if you will, the baby glove. Uh, he's he's gonna be awesome on that team. Yeah, Philadelphia 76ers traded Matisse Thybul. That was surprising to me. I like Thybul's game. I guess he's he's like a zero offensively, but he's an incredible defender. The new Andre Robertson. Yeah. Any other major trade or moves you want to talk about? Because I have one major question to ask you before uh, we wrap this chat up. Um, uh, No, I, th- I think that, that pretty well covered it. Russell Westbrook getting traded uh, was expected. Kind of hilarious coming off of the game where LeBron broke the record. Here's a, a hilarious stat I'll remember for the rest of my life. Because if you watch the game where LeBron broke Kareem's record, Russell Westbrook was not having a good time. He yeah. was not there for it. Uh, LeBron James took 20 shots in that game where he's trying to break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. Do you know how many shots Russell Westbrook, theoretically the point guard of the Los Angeles Lakers, took? I feel like it's going to be like three. 19. Holy shit. <laughs> the other way, buddy. <laughs> He's like, no, no, clear out, LeBron. I got this. That was his attitude this entire. And you'll find that he got traded fucking immediately after he lasted like three more days in Los Angeles. So I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Just uh, Russ's overall attitude and performance in that game where LeBron broke the record. Go back and watch Russ in that game. He's, he's throwing the ball out of bounds. He took 19 shots to LeBron's 20. That's so funny. That is so funny. That is absolutely hilarious. Oh, my God. And I, I watched, like, bits and pieces of that game kind of broken up. But, yeah. Oh, my God. That's actually gold. All right. So, I have to ask you, who won the trade deadline? Phoenix. Phoenix got Kevin Durant. They went all in. They they have a little bit left of Chris Paul. They might as well try to win every title they can. They have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Much like we said about Kyrie and Luka together, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, both of those men can score 70 points on any given night. Kevin Durant is the most talented basketball player who has ever been born, maybe. He's a seven-footer who can shoot like... He can shoot the lights out. He can play incredible defense. He's a great rebounder. He can uh, pass very well, above average passer. Kevin Durant is the total package. To Even at this extended age, to put him on Phoenix is is crazy. Phoenix won the, the trade deadline, I would say for sure. 
Yeah, uh, I agree with you 100%. You know who Phoenix reminds me of um, in terms of like their attitude and, and adding players and just overall organizational attitude right now because the window is open? Who's that? The Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, interesting. They're a little older, but they do have that young core. The Devin Booker is comparable to Vlad Guerrero. I like it. I like that comp, buddy. Yeah, and I like doing those comparisons because I know that not everyone who listens is a basketball fan, is a baseball fan. So I try to try to mix it in, mix it up so that you can see what we're you're picking up, what we're putting down. Yes, yes, very good. Yeah, we need a Kevin Durant. That would be awesome. If we can just get uh, Mike Trout or Shohei or something, uh, let's do it. So, yeah, Russell Westbrook was traded to the Jazz, but he's going to be bought out, it seems. So expect him to join, like, Miami probably. The Bulls. Who do you think Russell Westbrook's going to play oh, for? Miami. Miami. I think Miami's going to. I think he's going to join Miami, and he's going to somehow screw that team up. Because I feel Miami has a good core. I feel that they're doing well. I, you know, I can see him join the Clippers. Oh, I don't know. I think Kawhi might strangle him. I'm not sure if that would work. I if Kawhi would be willing to take him on, but I think. I think he's the opposite of the kind of guy that Kawhi Leonard wants on his team, you know? I think so, too. But how much sway does Kawhi have at this point, right? Like, the Clippers are a weird organization, man. The Clippers, I don't get the Clippers. Yeah. Well, it's it, I, they have attached their wagon to a man who plays 35 out of 82 games a year and then just kills it in the playoffs. So it's just really hard to predict. Of all the NBA teams, the Clippers remain the most confusing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're the situation ship of the NBA. You just don't know yeah, what's yes, going to exactly. happen. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know You don't know how much you should talk to them or about them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, soon, as soon as you think it's over and it's never going to work out, Kawhi hits, you know, hits a heater, and he's just absolutely shutting down the best players in the NBA while scoring 30. And as soon as you got it all figured out, it's playoff P, clear out for Paul George, and he goes one for 18. And okay. Lose. Now that we're talking about Kawhi, and I know that I'm completely, completely derailing the show, but I have to ask you this question: You're seeing more rumors and 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 things like that about in baseball. You know their long ass schedule and how important the playoffs are. And I think that some players could have could have benefited from this. But how do you feel about the possibility of load management in the MLB? Well, I think it already happens to some extent, but. Baseball, baseball players like to chase numbers a little more like Aaron judge couldn't have load managed too much in his big contract year. You know what I mean? He had to chase those big home run numbers. So it's a little different now in baseball. There will be more uh, loads being managed. I would say Boris, uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, I, uh, I, I don't see it being as big a problem in baseball as it will be in hockey and basketball going forward. Ooh, hockey. Oh, I can't wait to see those hockey purists see and, and when load management takes over. Because you know what team yeah. could really benefit from load management? Uh, I know a couple, but I, I'd say right now for sure the Leafs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Like, I think, honestly, just, I, I, they put Obviously, all- Peng- Penguins, yeah, Penguins Capitals, too, just because of the aging the superstars, but please go on. No, for me, with the Leafs and the Penguins of the Capitals is that, like, you know, 80 games, you know that that team's going to end up in the playoffs, right? So why don't you just get ready for the playoffs? Why don't you just put 
everything he got for the playoffs. I'm not a fan of load management. I hate the fact that, you know, where we're catering and, and we're protecting and the, like I'm, I'm all for protecting of players, but you're trying to sell tickets. It sucks for the fans is what I'm trying to get to. But I do understand that, hey, you know, the counter argument to that is, do you want to win? Do you want to win the big one? Well, show me that you're going to win the big one with load management because there's only one team who has won with load management. And that's the 2019 Raptors. Yes, that was prime Kawhi, and it was a genie in a bottle. Good luck catching that one again. All right, so I think that's it for sports. Is it time to jump into the world of professional wrestling? I think so, buddy. I think we done covered it. All right, so let's kick things off with some Impact Wrestling. I'm not going to go through the entire card, but I'm going to give you the highlights and the trials and tribulations that is Impact Wrestling. Um, man, oh man, it was a, it wasn't a bad episode. It was a pretty fun episode. Brian Myers and Dirty Dango main event from 2007 or whatever year Fandango started. <laughs> yeah, it's about right. Uh, I think that's about right. Maybe 2014 ish. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it was a main event match, but they actually had a pretty good match. Uh, Myers ends up in the four-way match at No Surrender uh, to determine the next number one contender. Um, Tommy Dreamer and Mickey James face the good hands. John Schuyler and Jason Hodge. The good hands are uh, Bully Ray's boys. And essentially, this entire match was just to set up Masha Salamovich beating up Mickey James at the end of the match. So that was that. Um, Steph DeLander. Steph Delander made her debut on Impact. Nice. Formerly Persia Parada of NXT fame. Yeah. Man, I forgot how tall Steph Delander is, and I forgot how short Jordan Grace is, because that height dis- disparity was huge, and it was so cool. It kind of sucks that they fed Steph Delander in her debut to Jordan Grace, uh, but I hope they go, they go somewhere from that, but I think that was a, sp- a bad call. Uh, it's typical wrestling, though. It's not something she can't overcome, but I do agree. It's not It's not necessarily what you want. But yeah, a new, younger wrestler on her first day, feed her to uh, an establishment, and that happens all the time. Yeah. PCO also in the four-way match. Uh, and I think the big one is let's talk about the digital media title, the championship match, Joe Hendry versus Matt Cardona. Man, Matt Cardona has had a pretty good week. Well, in some ways, yes. Numerous title chances. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll see where this one goes. But he, but like his match with Joe Hendry is pretty good. Joe Hendry, honestly, this is the Joe Hendry I've always wanted to see. Um, he's a fun wrestler. He's good in ring, and he doesn't have the grotto stuff to really put him down and hold him back. We're seeing Joe Hendry for why he became huge. Uh, you know, in the Indies and in Europe, right? And Mark Cardona, just con- Matt Cardona, continues to just just be awesome uh, wherever he goes. Like this, I'm so happy for him. And you know, we'll see if he ends up back in the E. Uh, but uh, that's that. So Joe Hendry ends up winning. But the takeaway from that was that there seems to be some dissension uh, and he- between Matt Cardona and his best friend Brian Myers. So this could start spelling the end of Matt Cardona's run with impact. I bet you indeed it will. I, it feels like it's going to be building to a breakup and a loser leaves town match, which indeed Cardona will lose. I do think he's WWE bound eventually. 
All right, loser leaves town. That tends to be the term uh, that we've been uh, talking about because this past weekend, New Japan Pro Wrestling held their new beginning card uh, from Tokyo, Japan. We're not going to go through the entire card, but let's talk about a couple notable matches. The first one for me is the loser leaves Japan match between Hikaleo and Jay White. Man, oh man, was this match good. Awesome. I haven't seen this or the main event, but heard both are must-see. Probably will qualify for our big year-end list in December, the countdown of the best matches of the year. But yeah, Hikuleo, big upset on paper anyway, defeating Jay White, sending him packing from Japan, probably right to WWE, I'm guessing WrestleMania weekend. He'll just stroll right in, possibly costing Seth Rollins the match versus Logan Paul. I'll tell you, that's exactly what I would do. That's how Jay Dwight would debut. Yes, that's exactly how I would do it. Or is that how you have Cody not win the title? Oh, oh, that's a little much. Is that too much on the face? It might be it might be a little much, but maybe that's a way to do like uh I don't know, like the bloodlines hired gun, the hired assassin, the switchblade. Maybe he's maybe that's a way to keep the belt on Roman if they're really dead set on doing that. But I think that's a bad idea. I, I think I you stand I think you run the risk of turning Cody Rhodes into Lex Luger. He has to win at WrestleMania. He has to you know what I'm worried about is how many uh, crossroads is Cody going to have to hit on Roman because he's already hitting three in a row on people and they're not kicking out, but Roman's obviously going to kick out at the three in a row. So he's going to have to hit six in a row, seven in a row. What's he going to have to beat Roman with? The this sledgehammer? Is where, Who knows? This is where he debuts a new finisher, right? I guess so. The vertebraker? He, he hits the vertebraker <laughs> on Roman and actually breaks his vertebrae. Can anyway, you, okay. back to the... <laughs> no, but okay. Can you imagine everyone's reaction... If they allowed Roman Reigns to take a vertebraker, like everyone would uh, be that like, would be no one, yeah, it would be like Brock Lesnar doing the shooting star at WrestleMania 19. It would be the same reaction, except you know, I, I actually have social media now, I can yeah. appreciate it more, but yeah, yeah so uh, this Hikuleo, he's you know, he, this is a good spot for him. This is an interesting person to put over Jay White in this spot, but it's obviously going to cement him in New Japan as a humongous deal and a big star. So yeah, awesome for the kid. And I'm I, I'm I'm very hopeful for Jay White in WWE. I think he could do some good work there. I understand why fans would want to see him in AEW instead, but I do think he's talented enough to to really make a splash in in the WWE Triple H led WWE system. Yep. Uh, do you foresee the possibility of him going to AEW? I don't. I Well, obviously, there's a possibility, yeah. But I would put it like 75-25 that he's going to WWE. I think he's kind of been there, done that in AEW to some extent. And he wants. I think he wants to try to scale the mountain, at least see what he can do there. Yeah. And I love how like people are just grasping to the fact that they said, loser leaves Japan. He's fighting in San Jose. He's going to lead New Japan strong. Look. Nothing against New Japan Strong. Nothing at all. But this is Jay White. He just lost the big, you know, the big one in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I don't see him leading New Japan Strong here stateside. No, he has more to offer the wrestling world, I think, honestly. I, I think he's closer to main eventing a WrestleMania than starting his own fourth brand. You know, being the biggest star in the fourth best show in the States, maybe, you know, like what, NXT? 
Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. No, he better not go to NXT. He should pull. They should give him the full AJ Styles full ride. Yeah, I, and I think they would. I think for him they would. But Hikaleo, honestly, great match. This is by far his best match. And I'm a fan of Hikaleo. You know who else I'm a fan of? And and we've been praising him for the past two G1s. But his match last yesterday morning proved yet again that this guy deserves a lot. Tamatonga. Gotta yeah. be our boy Tamatonga. I gave him I gave Matt the huge thumbs up because he read my <laughs> rhyme. He had a great match with El Fantasmo. Oh wow. I love LP. I'll definitely check that one out as well. Love me some Tamatonga. He's improving. He's uh he's going to the WWE at some point in his career. Not gonna probably be, you know, at WrestleMania, but I, I would be shocked if he didn't to show up in WWE before maybe twenty twenty five. Him and Hikaleo, like, I'd be shocked if both of them don't end up at the same time in WWE. But maybe they're giving both of those guys a push here in New Japan to stick around for a couple more years. That wouldn't surprise me. Uh, yeah, but at good some old, point, they're going. It's kind of like the good old Brian Cage and AEW right now. It's like, wait, his contract is almost <laughs> up. Let's put him on TV every single <laughs> dynamite. Exactly right. Exactly right. So yeah, so so definitely we'll check that one out. That was a title defense by Tamatanka. He retained the title. Yep, agreed. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh no, no worries. And then the main event of this show, Okada versus Shingo. They always deliver. I'm sure that match was a banger. Yep. Oh, dude, this match is so okay. This is why Boris likes to rant against New Japan Pro Wrestling and especially the King of Pro Wrestling stuff. Shingo has nothing to do with that. This is the spot that man deserves. He can give you an amazing match with anybody. And the chemistry that him and Okada have is just amazing. Dude, match of the year contender. Oof, nice. I'll definitely check out the top three of that show at some point. Man, New Japan's in a good spot. That sets up their battle in the valley on the same night as the Elimination Chamber. Saturday, February 18th. Yep. Do you want to run through that card while we uh, while we're talking New Japan? Actually, yeah. there's something New Japan. I'm just gonna sneak this one in, and I forgot to mention this when I was talking about Impact. No surrender. Friday, February 24th. You know, this is a stacked card. We'll talk about it next uh, next bam. But this is the match that I'm looking forward to the most. That is Time Machine versus Bullet Club. Bullet Club consisting of Ace Austin, Chris Bay. And Kenta. Oh, nice. And what's what what is Time Machine again? That is that is Shelly, Kushida, and uh Saban together? Yep. yep. Ooh. Right? I like it. That's that's a tasty trios matchup right there. That is a tasty trios matchup. And that brings us to Battle in the Valley. Let's start with the Motor City Machine Guns. Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin. They will be challenging the West Coast Wrecking Crew, Joral Nelson and Royce Isaacs. So that's for the strong tag team titles. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know much about the West Coast Crew, but Motor City. The the guns are sick. Yeah, I think Motor City retains for the simple fact that. Their name, they're going to be going all around the USA with those titles. They go on impact with those titles. No reason for them to lose it. Like where your head's at there. 100% agree. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Clark Connors for the NJPW television title. 15-minute time limit as per usual. It'll be a good match. Clark Connors is dope. The, the baby rhino Clark Connors versus the new William Regal, Zack Sabre Jr. 
the new William Regal. <laughs> it, it is. Um, He's doing Char- the Lord Stephen Regal gimmick with the television title, right? Yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, Zack Sabre is for sure winning this one, but I think this is going to be a very fun match. You know what? Just for the sake of it, I would either have this one end in 1459 or let this one go the time limit draw. They're due, they're due for a draw for this belt. I wouldn't mind seeing a draw there. Eight-man tag team match. Josh Alexander, your boy, with Adrian Quest, Rocky Romero, and Mascara Dorada, the former Grand Metalik, uh, in a, in a eight-man tag in a quad sum versus Kushida Volador Jr., Kevin Knight, and the DKC. That's an interesting match. Right? It's just a bunch of randomness, but this match, I think, will steal the show. There's a lot uh, going on there. It very well could, man. It very well could. Here's my choice to steal the show. Jay White versus Eddie Kingston. The Switchblade versus Eddie Kingston. Let's go. You love Eddie Kingston so much, but I agree with you. I think this he's match my, is going to be great. Favorite. Especially if Jay White's on his way out. I think Jay White's just going to like just put match banger after banger after banger. And this is a big win for Eddie Kingston that he needs if he pins Jay White. So I agree. I, I hope that's where we're going here. Yep. Also, also very intriguing. Filthy rules, no holds barred match. Tom Lawler, filthy Tom Lawler versus Homicide. That could be awesome. Yeah, I was looking up and down the card. There's no John Moxley. So Homicide is going to bleed the most that night. Yeah. <laughs> Fully co-signed. 100% agree. We have a Fred Rosser versus Kenta for the strong open weight title. I think Kenta might win this belt. I have a feeling that you're right. I think it's time to change the title, and I think Kenta's going to have it solely for the reason that, you know, just because of everything that's happening with New Japan Strong and that TV show, uh, New Japan's going to want that title on TV with Kenta making a few appearances with Impact you know where my head's at there. Yeah, I I think that's it. I think you nailed it. You nothing to add there. We also have Okada versus Tanahashi for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Every time they have a match, it's always great. Always something special. Can't wait to see that one. So random. I'm not complaining, but it's just so random of a night. It's like, hey, let's yeah. give Okada Tanahashi the same yeah, night yeah. and call it <laughs> part of a double main event. May as well. Yeah, throw it out there for the fans. And the other part of the double main event for the women's title, the IWGP women's title, Mercedes Monet, formerly Sasha Banks versus Kyrie. I think that's going to close the show. It's a big spot for Sasha. Lots of pressure, but it should be a good match. She's one of the best. I love Sasha's work. I agree. Tons of pressure. Tons of pressure. Tons of unwarranted hate on Sasha Banks as well. Um, Dude. I have to go with Kyrie on this one. I think it's way too early to to give it to Mercedes. I think that this could set up a long-term story in stardom. Remember, this is still stardom. They love their long-term stories. So I think this is just just the you know, the opening chapter, the prologue of this amazing amazing story that we're going to see between Kyrie and Mercedes. I think you're right. It would, there is a possibility that they just created this belt specifically to have something to give to Sasha Banks. It, you know, like it's possible. That's the entire reason why this belt even exists. They just brought, like, it's coincidence that this just showed up at the same time Sasha did. Maybe this is meant to be her belt for the next six months. Who knows? I think you're right. 
I agree with you. I'm saying Kyrie wins this match. Yep. Because, you know, there's a thing, right? Like, I'm sure I'll complain about this in a year or two, but stardom loves having those year-long stories. True. And yes, it always starts with a loss to the, the yeah. challenger, and then that challenger eventually climbs the mountain and gets the win back. And this is a good way to see if she's really in for the long haul, and if Sasha leaves in three months, then no harm, no foul, you know? But question, Matt. Does Sasha even need a belt? She's going to be putting asses in seats for months on end. She doesn't need the belt, in my opinion. Not now. We'll see if months on end, though, is true. I I hope that's true, but right now she doesn't need a belt. She might. She might in a couple months. Who knows? Yep. Uh, you, you talked about Okada. We talked about Okada. I love Okada. I love how Okada can still manage to fool people. All right, so we have that big, uh, you know, uh, so long Muda show, right? Like that's coming up, and Okada was supposed to be facing Kaito uh, Kiyomiya in that show, and for months on end, since they announced the card, Okada's like, no one talked to me about that match. They didn't go through my people. I'm not. I'm not wrestling that match. And for any time that Noah is mentioned, he shits on them. He hates Noah as Okada, the character. He talks down to them. He says they're not worthy of his time. He's much better than them. And when this match with uh, Kiyomiya was announced, he was basically shit-talking them and continued saying, this isn't the match. I'm not scheduled. I'm not going. Yes, yeah. He is continuously, like, absolutely openly stated that pro wrestling Noah is beneath him and uh, Kaito Ka Kiyomiya is beneath him and he does not want to wrestle him. So, <laughs> continue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, after the main event of Noah Great Voyage on February the 12th, 2023, who should show up in the ring to absolutely raffle copter young Kiyomiya? But Kazuchika Okada, he comes in and he lays out the GHC, the Pro Wrestling Noah World Champion, with his finisher, the Rainmaker. Yep. And then he gets the microphone and in Japanese says, uh, basically loosely translated, if you want a match with me, you ask Mr. Okada and you say please and thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Okada just comes in as a heel and the Noah fans are booing the, the absolute heck out of this man. He accepts the match Okada does to rounding booze and he accepts it uh, again uh loosely translated here not for kiyomiya but because i can't stand the noah fans <laughs> i so he said love that, this. he said that on the microphone after the main event of a noah show so it is an interesting build that they're doing here i love okada like he's so smart like i love the fact that he is team new japan no matter what right and i think that really makes the fans of other promotions incredibly angry because i watched just the main event uh the kiyomiya match against jack morris dude very good match not the pitcher jack morris the wrestler jack morris and right. um <laughs> and great match but the booze were insane for okada Oh, that's awesome. I would love to see an extended heel run for Okada in New Japan, but I understand why they wouldn't do it. Anyway, it's cool that he gets to be a heel. He gets to play the heel to the Noah audience. That's going to be so much fun, that match. Boy, I can't wait for that. 
Yep. So we're I'm gonna be watching that. We're gonna be talking about that. I'm gonna eventually be watching Bat on the Valley, but we're booked that night, my friend. You and I are already busy as we are gonna be hosting the SNME Radio after party for the Elimination Chamber, which takes place in Montreal, Quebec. Really looking forward to that show. Um it's you know what? It's got a pretty stacked card for like the road to WrestleMania. Yeah, only four matches, but all of them look pretty good, pretty interesting. I'll quickly run it down here. So we're going to start with the Elimination Chamber for the number one contendership to the Raw Women's title. The winner of this match will face Bianca Belair at WrestleMania. It is Asuka versus Liv Morgan versus Nikki Cross versus Raquel Rodriguez versus Natalia versus Carmella. So as long as Asuka gets a lot of ring time, that should be a good match. I'm expecting Asuka wins for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And much like I said, on the flagship, that, that's my pick, right? Looking through the list. And I think the women's division right now is getting stronger than it was even a few months months ago. But I, I've like I'm you have to think forward, right? Bianca Belair versus Natalia. That doesn't scream must watch. Uh Bianca Belair versus Raquel Rodriguez. That eh, maybe eh, maybe, possibly. Bianca Belair versus Carmella. No. Bianca Belair versus Asuka. Yes. Throw my money. Yes, exactly. Shut up and take my money. So I I, I think that's just well put, man. Asuka's going to win because she's basically the only real contender. Although you could talk me into Raquel. You could talk me into Raquel. I think the Elimination Chamber match for the U.S. title is going to be awesome. The six men in that, Austin Theory, Seth Rollins, Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed, Damian Priest, and Montez Ford of the Street Profits. I expect Austin Theory to win that match. Man, this is like NXT when we started watching NXT, and I love it. Right? Featuring Seth Rollins, basically. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think this match is going to be so good. Uh, I think Austin Theory is going to win, much like I said earlier. I think Austin Theory comes out to set up the match with John Cena. Yeah, that match doesn't need the belt, but I think right now, Austin Theory needs that belt just to make him the, that super dick heel. Yes, and you know my prediction. John Cena wins the belt at WrestleMania. Open challenge on Raw, answered by Montez Ford, and he immediately loses. First open challenge, puts over Montez Ford for the U.S. title on Raw after WrestleMania. That's how I think this whole thing plays out. And the way that you get there is Austin Theory keeps the title until Mania. And then Austin Theory and Montez Ford have their own program, right? Because you can say, like, yeah, yeah, this I, I'm the rightful champ, blah, 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 blah. And you know what? Say what you want about John Cena. He does the job, and he, he loses when he knows he has to. Absolutely. He, he lost a lot in his run. I, I don't think it was, dude, you know, I don't think he has part, any problem do, doing That's part job. of the 2K marketing. Exactly. <laughs> it literally is. Also, interesting match, a mixed tag team match, Edge and Beth Phoenix versus the Judgment Day of Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley. I think Rhea Ripley pins Beth Phoenix clean in the middle to keep her strong for WrestleMania. I think that should happen. So here's the thing. You can get that happening, and then you can have Edge and Finn Balor kind of fighting around the arena. They can pull a Triple H Mankind. That's what I would do. Make them pull a oh. Triple H and Mankind to set up a big match at WrestleMania. You focus on the women. Beth Phoenix takes the pin. Rhea Ripley looks super strong, and you set up Balor versus Edge, and they fight throughout the night. 
Nice. I love it. Yeah, that, that, that was a good runner at Canadian Stampede. And this has kind of got Canadian Stampede vibes, this pay-per-view. It I think does. that's a great note. It does. And the main event, the main event of Canadian Stampede 2.0 is Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn singles match for the undisputed WWE Universal Heavyweight Championship of the world. Uh, Boris in Montreal in Sami Zayn's home. I think Jey Uso turns on Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens makes the save. It's the obvious choice. A lot of people have predicted it. It's not an original thought, but it is what is going to happen. I agree. All right. Which one can't make it to Canada? That's Jimmy, right? Jimmy. as Yes. Uh, if I am not mistaken, Jimmy cannot make it into Canada, but Jay can. And Solo Sokoa will be there. I think that's the odd. But you know what? Well, here's the thing. No swerves. Sometimes the obvious thing is the best choice, and I think that's the best choice, especially, you know, if you want Cody and Roman to mean something huge, you want to keep that momentum with Sami Zayn, that's the obvious solution. I'll I'll, I'll put it to you like this, Boris. Uh, Top Gun, Maverick, right? Like, people basically know what the plot of that is going in, but at the same time, if you pull it off well, you make a billion dollars and you're nominated for Best Picture and you get a ton of praise, universal love, and everyone agrees it's one of the best things of the year. So that's what they got to do. They got to make this Top Gun Maverick. You know what's going to happen going in. But if they land that plane, Boris, to borrow a metaphor, then uh, then all will be well. Yeah, I agree. Perfect way to put it, my friend. All right, do you want to talk about NWA Nuff said in the worst gear in the history of professional wrestling? Tyrus Arr. looking like a wet grocery bag. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why would you call number one? I am grateful to the wrestling gods that Billy Corgan didn't buy Impact. Oh, well, yeah, man. Yeah, it's definitely at least he just bought NWA and made this his weird little vanity project. So we're getting the Funkasaurus versus Bubba Ray Dudley for the world title after the Funkasaurus beat Zack Ryder, who, God bless him, he tried. We had Alex Riley showing up on this show, absolutely eating shit on a terrible attempted dive, top dollar level dive. God bless Alex Riley, but Dude, boy, that was bad. That was not a good return for the poor guy. No, it was not. Poor uh, his now he's now under the name of Kevin Kylie Jr. I guess he is the son of the original Kevin Kylie. So yeah. yeah, there are very few very few highlights on this show. I guess the Renegade Twins won the NWA Women's Tag Team Title. That appears to be a highlight. Chris Adonis apparently was working really well on this show. Chris Adonis, the former Chris Masters, continues to be highly underrated. He's he's become a really good wrestler and still is. Yeah, he beat uh, Trevor Murdoch, uh, so that was an okay match. I just saw bits and pieces of it here and there, right? Um, looked okay, but nothing special. Kind of like the entire show, right? Camille continues to dominate. That's probably the highlight of the NWA right now. Yes, yes, yeah, indeed. Camille, I would say for sure, is the highlight, like the highlight, the only highlight on most shows now that Colby Carino is gone. But yeah, Camille is still doing good work. She, Her stuff is, if you're going to watch anything on an NWA to show, watch that. And then we get to the absolute definition of a 10-pound piece of shit in a five-pound bag. In this case, a green grocery bag, Boris. Tyrus, the Funkasaurus NWA champion. What more to say? 
Honestly, I got nothing. I still don't understand. You know, those people the who love reason, to yeah. the, the people who love to say, "But he has the belt on Fox." Let me tell you this, my friends. People who watch Fox News aren't watching professional wrestling and they're for sure not watching NWA. And if they are, they're going to take one look at the show and be like, well, this is terrible. Why would I ever want to watch this? This isn't entertaining. This isn't good. This isn't athletic. This doesn't, I don't know. This seems worse than the stuff I've seen on WWF. It looks more low rent. Like, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I Mouth said this on the year-end show, the worst of show, and I thought it was the smartest thing I've ever heard anyone say about Tyrus and the NWA and the Fox thing. He's like, it's actually bad for wrestling. It, it's not good exposure. It's bad publicity. It's bad for wrestling that people look at Tyrus and look at the NWA and think this is what wrestling is. Yeah, It's not. That's not what professional wrestling is, except for in this one weird, shitty little corner of this universe, you know? But whatever. Like, Tyrus, Tyrus is world champion so that people like us getting mad about it on our podcasts that's what he's doing and like yeah i'm, I'm kind of glad that we don't really play that game too much although when nwa has a pay-per-view i do think it's worth noting that tyrus had another bad match in the worst year of 2023 <laughs> i love that and that, that, that's all the time we're gonna give nwa Fair enough, man. Absolutely fair enough. There's good in wrestling. You know, there's Elimination Chamber and uh, the Battle in the Valley coming up on Saturday the 18th. AEW Dynamite has been absolutely killing it. New Japan has had a, a number of good matches. We haven't even talked about uh, the Time Bomb, Hiromu Takahashi versus Yo. I still got to check that match out. That's going to be added to the list of matches we must see. Man, wrestling's in a good spot. Life is too short for Tyrus. Life is too short for the Funkasaurus. Hiromu Takahashi versus Leo Rush. Yes, that's what I mean, man. New Japan is putting on the Time Bomb versus Leo Rush. Hiromu versus Leo Rush. That's a dream match in terms of cruiserweights. And hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. But, but like, let me check my notes. Bully Ray versus Tyrus <laughs> for the most important belt in your promotion. For arguably the most important belt in the history of professional wrestling, dating back to 1905, George Hackenschmidt, Orville Brown, Frank Gotch. Oh my God, Boris! Lord have mercy! And now the funk, the funky Saurus versus Bubba Ray Dudley. Oh, nope, that's my where God. we're at. That's where. We're at. But Matt, like you said, there's so much. There's so little time in our lives to be mad about stuff so honestly let them do what they gotta do we're gonna focus on the amazing because right now again we are so spoiled to be wrestling fans we are so spoiled to be sports fans man we're even spoiled with the quality tv shows that we're getting like the last of us and others I haven't seen any of The Last of Us yet, but yeah, you're completely right. Sunny is coming back pretty soon. Always love. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, there's so many good... Co- King of the Hill's coming back soon, buddy. There's oh, so much entertainment. I finally finished watching Atlanta. Nice. How'd you feel about the end oh, of it? My God. That's... Oh, we got to talk offline yeah. about that one. <laughs> That, we should do we should we got to start doing a rewatch pod tv rewatch podcast i could go through all of atlanta for sure all of yeah. twin peaks all of the sopranos oh the sopranos the sopranos all right i think we've we've spent enough time on bam this week we got through it 
Matt, always a pleasure. And everyone listening, thank you so much for listening. Remember to keep it locked here on Sunday night's main event because there is a show for every taste and flavor that you can imagine, whether it be professional wrestling, whether it be MMA, whether it be music or pop culture and geek culture. We've got you covered each and every single day. You have to be part of the family. And the way you join the family, I make it sound like the mafia or something. Uh, remember... Yeah. <laughs> There's no way out. Only one way out. Um, that's canceling your credit card. Uh, Patreon.com slash SNME Radio. For $5 a month, you get each and every single show that we have. Again, thank you to everyone who is part of the family, who is a patron member. That keeps the lights on. That allows us to put content out there. That allows us to watch the shows. That allows for us to do what we love to do, and that's chat about wrestling. So thank you to everyone who is a patron. And Matt, always a pleasure. Matt, I feel good now. My attitude has changed 180. <laughs> awesome, buddy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was a little grumpy coming in this podcast, but you know what? Life is good. It was a good, uh, a good bit of sports watching today lots of good wrestling on the horizon and uh yeah we got the whole uh the whole love guru thing which will be fun next week the blind leading the blind it will be oh uh, cringy it. cringy and terrible but a lot of fun just like much of wrestling and tv in general he's matt i'm boris until next time remember to stay tranquilo